Oh, is my mic on? Oh, it is. Oh, <laughs> did you look at that? <laughs> Hi, Kathy. Hi, Joe. <laughs> Getting towards the end of season three and still don't know how to work a mic. Yes, but what you do know is how old you are. <laughs> I do know how old I am. And do you know what's interesting? I'm all within the age range of 35 to 45. <laughs> what I was leading to, because that's what today's episode's yeah. about. That age range of 35 to 45, where every single person we know in this age range have got their shit together. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel? Do you feel like you've got your shit together? Uh, can't put a mic on. Do you know what? Some days I feel like I'm starting to get a grasp on life, and then the next day it all comes tumbling back down. <laughs> do you feel like you've got your shit together, Joe? <laughs> Like I've got my shit together. Um, oh no, absolutely not. Mostly because I still laugh at memes where it goes, "Ooh, adulting's hard." <laughs> it's just like a, just a random thing where you have to see your box away. Yeah. But adulting is really hard, and I'm not a really big fan of it. No, I just prefer pretend that I'm still maybe 23. But do you? Oh, this is going to be existential. Do you prefer to pretend that you're 23 because you're thinking that now with a slightly more grown-up mindset? Because actually, when I was 23, like the whole world upside down. You know, you just don't have grasp on anything, and everybody tells you what they think you should be doing and like you have no self-confidence yeah and I feel like in our middle age mm-hmm. which is a thing I feel a lot more self-confident you know like yeah, when you're you back like... at school you wouldn't want to be seen in school again would you like those oh, ages gosh, are just no. awful um, I do think as well with the whole advent of social media everybody seems to have their life together yeah. because all you ever see is all the great stuff and everybody's always mowing their lawns or whatever it might be that they, <laughs> you know things I never have time to do you think gosh they've got their like what a nice house they've got oh what you know what a nice car and um they're going on so many holidays and they all really have their lives together I mean it's probably not true how when you said um, about like those memes about like oh and this is adulting or um, I see like there's always one that's um, don't grow up it's a trap. Mm. Um, but what do you think now that we are kind of grown ups compared to like if we were half our age? What's adult life like now compared to what you thought it would be like? Um, you know when we were twenty three for example, as an arbitrary number that I keep throwing out. You think being forty five is really old? Yeah, no. Like when I met Mike, his mum and dad were my age now, yeah. but they were old people. Sarah <laughs> told me a really interesting thing. <laughs> no, you are horrible. Her brother died when she was quite young. She had her first job and she worked in Woolworths. That's the hold it was. And she said, I always remember saying, he'd had like pancreatic cancer and he died. And somebody saying like, oh, I'm really sorry to hear about your brother. And she went, it's all right. Like he, he'd had a good life. She said, which is what you said about people when they were old. And she said, and like he was 33. <laughs> and, but she was 18 to her. 33 was like a good life. What a good innings you've had. And it's that kind of concept of age. So then what do you think now looking to like when you're 65? I used to think it's a tangible thing. You retire and you become old and... You know, you go and get your little bus pass and you go off and, you know, share some pensioners fish and chips. Um, I mean, not with anybody, obviously. If you don't have a bar, that's a bit random. <laughs> Do you want to share some? Do you not think that's what you'll be doing when no, you're 65? absolutely not. When I was 25, I thought I'd have felt like that at 45, and yeah, I don't. Yeah. How do you think you'll feel at 65? Yeah. I bet you've got a new hip, though, do you? Oh, yeah, I could do with a new hip already, to be fair. This is another 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> See, that is old, isn't it? When you have to go for a new hip. This is on its way out. I'm 40 in January, and... When I was 18 and 19, I remember my mum being 36 and thinking, like, that's her old, like, she was an Mm. old woman at 36. Yeah. And actually, I was thinking about it this morning, getting ready and, like, wondering, I'd love to kind of step back in time and look at mum, like, Mm. through eyes. Your age. You know? (laughs) Rather than through teeth. (laughs) Yeah. Go, no, no, I can't see you. You look really old. (laughs) (laughs) Through my current eyes. So prior to that, how were you looking at <laughs> this time? I don't know what she looks like. Podcast, top oh. day. <laughs> if you want to see someone, use your eyes. You're welcome. Join us for more top days. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, just I think the same. I would imagine approaching forty that I would feel really old, but now I'm here, really not feeling that old. So I can only imagine it be the same. I think sixty-five, and I've always said this: just be class because you'll let go of any pretension of like having your shit together. Like maybe yeah. when you're young, you always think that you're going to, and then you get to our age, and you kind of feel like, should I have? By the time you're in your 60s, you're just like, oh, no, sod it, it's fine. Mm. You know this thing I've always had where I just want to, like, walk around with a martini glass in my hand mm. and, like, open the door to the postman. 
probably will be thing in 20 years time. Might be the Amazon man though. Could be, yeah. Yeah, stuff will still need to look. Amazon drone. <laughs> Amazon drone. Yeah, and, and you know what? And the drones won't judge me for my morning martini. <laughs> um, but, so I look forward to being that person and, and embarrassing Harrison. Like, oh, I would yeah. love him to be like, oh, like, and like, his friends will all be like, no, your mum's class, she just always walks around in like, heels in the house with a martini glass and just like, let's just go in and do what we want. Yeah. And Harrison will just be like, God. Why can't you just be like a normal old woman? Where's your pensioners fish and chips? It's going all disgracefully, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, with sound financial planning underneath it. Yeah, just as the base. Bring it back to the podcast. <laughs> I was thinking this morning about putting a tree top where I forgot to. <laughs> Which is going to be, how long do you have to have worked in a particular field or industry before they call you a veteran? I thought you have to retire before you're a veteran. We see it in like the financial um, <gasps> magazines in the board. Industry mm-hmm. veteran Steve says it's about inflation. I always thought it was an unofficial retired. status that you get. And I'd seen somebody on Twitter the other day saying, Oh, I've been in finance for 30 years now. Apparently, this classes me as a veteran. Um, he was like, My words of wisdom. But then I was thinking, I've been in finance for 17 years. So, at what point am I considered a veteran? And what I also think is interesting for people, whatever age they're at, at the minute, is literally, I've been in finance for 17 years. Say, if I just to round things up, sold verb in three years' time, I've done it for 20 years. I've still easily then got another 20 years like I've got, mm. you've got time to become a veteran twice over in like a whole really new career you've got yeah. time to become like new qualifications and find a whole new field you don't need to stick at it the whole time but I think that's why I thought about law at one point because I just thought what a fairly big substantial topic law is what a big career you know you could go into a very broad field of law and then narrow it down to criminal law and then narrow it down to this particular field or you want to become oh. a judge or whatever it is and actually, you still have 20 years and you could do all of that. So I think even if you're younger and you're not quite sure what your future is, or you're still kind of booling around and bouncing around jobs and trying to find the thing that sparks in you, that's absolutely fine. Because even if that thing doesn't spark in you until you're 30 or 40, you've still got all of that time. You have got another 20 years left. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a full life. I know, yeah. Isn't it exciting? To, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, really exciting. You could literally do anything. Um, I feel like as much as I did all my finance qualifications because I've then kind of moved into running the business and then starting lots of new businesses kind of become a bit of a jack of all trades whereas your focus has been on finance still and more of like mm. the actual doing of finance so do you if not considering yourself a veteran because you're not out of active service would you consider yourself an expert would you say I'm an expert in finance not in finance because it's too broad you physically can't because of all of the different aspects you could be potentially um, an expert in a certain type of financial planning or you know, tax pensions, investments, but certain areas of it, power planning, absolutely. I would stand toe-to-toe still anybody about power planning on any subject. Oh, I love the face. <laughs> I just would. Um, stand toe-to-toe. You actually are in combat. <gasps> could have a celebrity boxing match. Um, I mean, loose use of celebrity. Um, and probably planning. typing rather than boxing. Yeah, and I still win. Um, because, like you say, I've been focused on it for so long. So, yeah, why wouldn't I be proud and confident about what I know about power planning. What are your expectations and dreams for the next chapter of your career? This is awkward. <gasps> Kathy's my boss. <laughs> Don't leave me. I know, yeah. What are my expectations? Well, it's interesting for us because we're actually, as a company, on a big growth phase with the intention of completely pivoting everything that we're doing as a company, repositioning it and just doing so much work on it that literally I can't even think beyond the next 10 years because it would be so different. Certainly going into the world of tech, it blows my mind. You know, when you said, I can't imagine what the option will be for a postman. It's like that for me. I just can't see that far ahead. I just see all the graft in my future. (laughs) (laughs) More work. Um, But then what about for you personally? Yeah, I'd like to think that we sold Verve and we had our big year in the Bahamas and then <laughs> I mean my son's still in school but you know leave him behind and run away with your <laughs> oh gosh I sometimes forget that we're not a couple and then what are we um, doing after our years uh... we, well we've got a little plan haven't we we've got a little retirement plan Cathy and I would like to combine our loves mine is reading and books and libraries I absolutely love books and libraries and Cathy's is wine so we would like to set up a wine place that also does books People can go and read and have a nice glass of wine in like a nice establishment. It'll be really cool. And we're called Book and Good Wine. What about you? The same. What would you do in Book and Good Wine? Would you be the person who's serving? Would you be the person who's creating the wine and book pairings? She glitched. There's a need of roses. There's literally a horror section with a heavy red. Yeah. I would like to be the hostess and just being all like little like networky and researching all the books. 
And we've talked a lot about what we might do, you know, in 10 years' time or whatever. But actually, Post Barbados. Was it about oh, Bermuda? Where were we going? Bahamas. <laughs> Honestly. <Black pool. laughs> so we're talking about, you know, what we'll do after. But the reality is, you know, 13 years that you've created and it's literally, you call it your baby and it is. Um, you care about it the most people, <laughs> more, more than most people, you know. Um, so how would you actually feel if you had to say goodbye to it and go on to something else. <laughs> Firstly, I wouldn't have to do anything. <laughs> oh, God. Grown woman, I can do what I want. Um, if I was saying goodbye, it would be because I'd got to a stage where I wanted to, but I can't imagine it. Like, I can't imagine. Even as it grows and it is less of a baby, like, you know, we were saying it's a teenager now, it's been gone 13 years. Oh, right moody. Right moody. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it will, as a business, get more and more naturally independent which might, like literally can barely say the words, might mean that I can not feel like I need to mollycoddle it as much and not be kind of involved in absolutely everything. But then I guess it's Lol. like, you know, with, you know, how old's Lena now? I'm 23. Is that why you have 23 in your head all the time? Oh, potentially. Um, but it's not like, you know, going over oh, well, 23 and independent and drives and works and doesn't need me at all. I'll just forget about him because <laughs> you've tried. <laughs> Won't let you. Yeah. Even if something crazy happened and I completely sold out and had no ties and the new owner like yeated me and told me to go away, I'd still be like, hello. <laughs> and he's in the oh. lobby. <laughs> I'd get a job at this building as then the security guard. <laughs> you know, hack my way into teams. Yeah, I feel like you're conjuring up this very sad future where I'm being prized away from Vertiv by the tips of my fingers. However, the point is, when you're at this age range, 35 to 45, you do feel like an expert in your particular field, power planning, tour to tour, which therefore gives you confidence, which is why you know that you can take control of and shape your future a hell of a lot more than you probably feel like you can do when you're 20. I appreciate that you don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> um, however, there is some things that are law, mm -hmm. you know, and you'll know this when you're doing a lot laws, of yeah, yeah. Um, when, when you're a judge, you might be able to change it. Um, but there's certain types of things that you would have to get by law, it's mandated. So you're building insurance, for example. Yeah. Um, you have to have that. You have to have car insurance. Yeah. But you don't have just to just immediately have... start breaking out in a sweat because whenever we do this, it makes me go, oh, have I got any of those things? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I go in and check them. You and were sometimes... staring at us really intensely. I know, because yeah. I was thinking, was it series one that we last had this conversation? And then I went and found it, and I might have had some then. But then also, it was like two series ago, and I just don't know what's happened since. Um, Tell me did... again. You go. What's what's legal? What do I need? You need car business, insurance. Car. Business. Uh, <laughs> buildings. Gosh. <laughs> car insurance. Yeah. Review. Buildings insurance. Is it law? Um, I think you have to have it as part of your mortgage, don't you? And you'd certainly have to have it if, you know, you lived in a semi-detached house because you're protecting other people. So if your house burns down and it burns down the house next to you, your insurance has to cover theirs as well. You're looking like you've never heard this before in your life. <laughs> um, cool. Well, yeah, of course, it's the same as a car insurance. It's almost to protect you, you know, if you hit another car. But life insurance isn't mandated. You're no. supposed to, you've got to protect your mortgage. Yes. <laughs> Have you got any of these things? I did get life and critical illness. Great. Um, you know, because I got the watch and then I dropped the watch two weeks later. <laughs> That's right, yes, I still pay for it. Um... <laughs> That's the only reason I know I've got life in cake is because I've got a broken watch. In a critical condition. <laughs> it's in a critical condition. Do you know what? My insurance didn't pay out for it. <laughs> Funny that. Um, um, I'm just pausing because it's your car insurance thing. And I know we talked about it in series one, but you do know you have to do it every year though, don't you? Well, I'm not being funny, but I'm not trusting you because you got it wrong with the whole servicing and MOT thing. You absolutely shafted me and made me get both, and it turns out I only needed one. You hadn't had any in three years. You did need both at that point. Turns out I only needed one. And you hadn't had a service for the whole time. You'd had it three years, so it did need a service. And the MOT is the law. Only now, after three years. <laughs> yes, so you didn't. Wasn't before. At that point, you did need both. I did think you had to have a service and MOT every year. And now, what do I need? An MOT every year. I and need is a service optional now. <laughs> Not really. If you want it to keep going, you don't need to change the oil and check your brakes and stuff. Law. Talk to Law, <laughs> MOT's law. Yes. You really don't like to be told what to do, really do you? Don't, no. But yeah, you probably should get your car checked. 
because what happens if you crash your car and you've got no insurance? Your life insurance might kick in if you're dead. Great. If you're not, you're not good. Is anybody going to fix my watch? That's all I want to know. You could say it was a part of the car accident. Probably get it fixed. And also, I'm really glad that you might burn down your house. You do drink a lot. <laughs> Hey. There's a lot of flammable liquids in your house. Building up a nice little wine collection as well. That's what I'd, you know, like what's your prized possessions that you'd race for in your house now, man's quite wieldy. That <laughs> reason's like, Mummy! <laughs> Papa, carry the horse. You can get the horse here. Uh, anyway, little Miss Insurance. Have you got life insurance, have you? Yes. <laughs> oh. and they always have. And car insurance. Yeah, no, boring. Um, buildings insurance. All of that. So you take them out, even though, even the ones that aren't essential. That's the point, isn't it? Like you were saying about the stuff that is law you have to have, but you've got stuff that you take out like your life insurance, even though it's not law. So what was it that drove you to do it in the first place? Um, it was when I first started in finance, actually, and I thought, oh, I was doing a load of life insurance stuff for other people. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, actually. I should have life insurance. Yeah. And so and it was dead easy. And it was like, I say, a ten a month. That's still just the same one that you've got now? Yeah, just never changed it. Amazing. Have you got any like critical grand. illness? No, no, should get critical illness, though. Because, yeah. you know, I'm quite unhealthy. <laughs> Putting aside me who doesn't fully understand all the legal stuff, if it was a normal human mm-hmm. and they were getting car insurance because they knew they needed it and buildings insurance to cover the mortgage, do you think it should be law that you also take out life insurance or critical illness insurance? Like I say, it's difficult, isn't it? Because building insurance and mortgage protection and car insurance, it's almost, it's an insurance you're protecting others, not yeah, you. Yeah. Life insurance is literally for you and your family. It's a, it's a moral conscience yeah. decision. I don't think it needs to be law because what would you mandate, right? You have to have £100,000. Yeah. Like what if you've got a half a million pound house or you have to have half a million pound but you actually you don't have a mortgage? And also like, could you imagine would you what would happen it? to life insurance premiums if it suddenly became mandatory? Like yeah. it, exactly the same as auto-enrollment pensions. What are they going to say, right, you pay 3% of your wage towards a life insurance pro- policy? And they'd all just be waiting them left, right, and centre. You'd get 100 grand, but you'd get 150. Like, it yeah. would just be carnage. Um, so my opinion on it, personally, is I don't think as a whole it needs to be because those ones that are, are to protect other people. But yeah. it would be nice to have funerals covered for people. Um, what about if you went the opposite? So the stuff that is currently law, like tax returns, or having car insurance, do you think people would choose to do it? You know, you said before about like the moral obligation that you would have for mm. some other life insurances. Do you think people would still do it? Um, no. <laughs> the reason I'm saying that is because, look at pensions, we had to literally force people to do pensions. It was optional before, and not enough people did it. So they had to bring in a law to do it. Yeah. Um, um, and I think if you said to somebody, right, okay, it's going to cost you 100 quid a month to do all of these optional things of, you know, because how much do you spend on your insurance? I have car insurance for my car, Jude's car. Like I have a couple of car insurances, buildings insurance, landlords insurance, life insurance, pet insurance. Like if somebody said to me, all right, yeah, they're, they're all optional. Um, I'd probably want to keep the pet insurance. <laughs> It's only 16 for the telling, month. isn't it? Um, it is very telling because it, it's a choice. Mm. What about you? Don't you don't know. Yeah, no. <laughs> and because the whole thing with insurance is you're just playing odds, aren't you? Like, you put oh, all your money oh. into a pot and you might be one of the people that claim from it, you might mm. not be. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? I like to play my own odds. And mm-hmm. if I'm paying for life insurance, I can't just be really determined not to die. <laughs> Fair. Which is why I'm surprised you've got critical illness because. The other day you refused to take an antihistamine and said your body just had to work itself out. It will. Potentially I'd hair fever for the first time and Joe was trying to get me to take an antihistamine. My point is my body needs to just learn how to get over hair fever. I'm not helping it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a perfectly valid approach. I offered you a one-a-day hair fever tablet because your eyes were streaming and you couldn't then breathe. Then body just gets simpy and every day it's like, oh, give me my one-a-day, give me my one-a-day. No. <laughs> my throat will close. Will my close. eyes will stream. You will learn. <laughs> Um, which is why I'm surprised you've got critical illness. I think it was just for the watch. <laughs> I honestly do. The other thing, though, in terms of like people taking out life insurance, oh, it's an insurance when you're dead, and like I'm not going to care mm. if you're dead. And I think that was what was interesting in our conversation with Phil, that they repositioned it, and actually it's not about that. Mm. It was all about um, making your wishes while you're mm. alive, knowing that that insurance will pay those wishes. Yeah. And I just thought, what a different way to kind of get it into people's heads so that they almost feel like they're getting the benefit of it now yeah, yeah. and it's not just a thing for later and on. They are getting the benefit of it now because actually one of the examples you use is, you know, sending your friends to Vegas or something and what a lovely gift to give now yeah. without costing you anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to get it until you're dead. Yeah. Brilliant. Pretty strong segue into our interview with Phil, that wasn't it? Was pretty strong. 
Well, then, off you go. <laughs> okay. You always introduce. I know. Oh. But last time I got wrong for talking too much. You really? Said, yeah, you, no, you said. Did I? I? Yeah, I didn't ask. You didn't get a chance to ask any questions. Oh, no, but you always do the introduction. Oh, well, anyway. Um, so, <laughs> hi, Phil. Thanks for joining us on That Minge Podcast. And this you... marriage counselling session. <laughs> marriage counselling session. <laughs> so, for the listeners, do you want to just kind of tell them a bit about yourself and your company, Dead Happy? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. So Phil Zeidler, I am co-founder of Dead Happy. Look, I'm in financial services, so by definition, I must be dull. Um, yeah, we're busting those nets. <laughs> that's the problem we're trying to solve is there's a massive protection gap because, in our view, it's overcomplicated, it's dull, it's boring, and it's expensive. But I have done some more interesting things, set up a music uh, business, been deputy chair of hospital, but I, I, for some reason I gravitate back to insurance. And life insurance, why, why life insurance and why a business called Dead Happy? Financial services are obviously important, but they don't have to be dull. If you're trying to sell retail products, what you try and do is you you know you jazz them up a bit and you, you get people excited about the benefits or the, or the look or whatever it is. I mean, we focus on life insurance and protection, which is a pretty tough crowd. You know, we're talking about death. That's the whole principle about this. But there's a load of humour in death, so why not use it? So we set out to change it. For people who haven't yet, um, I, I would say the first thing is to go onto the, the Dead Happy website because there's just dead quirky, isn't it? Maybe Dead just, Happy. It did me. <laughs> People who are listening and haven't yet been on it, how do you try and change this perception of insurance and make it a bit more interesting? We, we are a bit irreverent. We have a bit of a laugh. We call a spade a spade. Um, you know, we don't mince our words. We don't worry about you know swearing and stuff like that because that's just we try and reflect normal life and that simplification of language. Get rid of jargon because it doesn't help. It all ought to be accessible to everyone digitally because that's how people buy things you know um it all ought to be simple language because why do you make it complex you know help people understand what they're doing the next thing we do is you've got a potential client who's come in and says yeah you know what that life insurance stuff probably is quite important i ought to do it the next question they often get faced with is how much cover do you want <laughs> and it's like <laughs> what does that mean Yes. so we we try and turn that on its head so the next area we've created these things called death wishes and we don't ask the question how much coming. We, we say, well, what do you actually want to happen when you die? Because that's what this product is about. If you're thinking about life insurance, and we don't beat about the bush, it's about you being dead. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it is. Um, and we, we try not to hide behind it. A lot of industry don't use the D word. That's nonsense. So we face into it and we've got these death wishes, which is brilliant inspiration of all the things that you might want to happen. And yeah, there's a boring but important stuff like you might need to pay off a mortgage or pay for funeral costs or leave some money to replace an income. That's obviously important. But this is where we get really excited and we think our customers really engaged. We've got 250,000 and death wishes on our platform now. And this is about what you want to happen after death. Where people have come up with just amazing things. Things like having a bronze statue of themselves, so they'll never be forgotten. Preferably planted <laughs> right in the front doorway. <laughs> or having their ashes sent into space. So, you know, their kids look up in the sky at night and say, you know what, mum and dad's up there. Um, whatever it might be. I mean, there, there are some really quite moving and touching ones, sending flowers to your partner every year on the anniversary. And, and what it does, it, it just makes the thing real. You know, it's sort of these are this is rather than life insurance being a bit of vaporware, a certificate that just like with a number on it, that doesn't mean anything. These are the, this is the benefits. This is the actual thing that this product does for you. And it just makes it tailored and personal and meaningful. The third area we've done, which I suppose for insurance nerds, we've just challenged the product structure because Traditionally, term life insurance, if any anyone listeners have ever bought this, it ten, tends to be sold as a long-term, a 25, typically 20 or 25-year contract that you cannot change with a fixed price. You know, started this all out as a consumer. I said, well, how is that going to meet my needs? Because frankly, I don't know what's going to happen next week, let alone you know, in 25 <laughs> years' time. So my needs are changing all the time. And you think about the audience who are buying this stuff, typically they're sort of getting married, getting a first mortgage, having kids. Life is a bit chaotic, changes all the time. So how is a fixed 25-year product going to meet that need? And the answer, in our view, is clearly it doesn't. So what we do is a we've just simplified the product. So it's a really simple 10-year rolling product. It only takes four questions. So you can, it's all digital online. You can buy it on your mobile phone. It takes about three minutes. So really, really simple to buy. 
and it gives you that 10 years of cover. But really importantly, you can change it at any time. You can increase it, you can decrease it, you can cancel it, whatever. But it's a really simple process. Amazing. <laughs> it is absolutely amazing just because Kathy literally went for a Vitality one because she got free watch. Yeah, and then dropped my watch and broke it too. You've been lured in. Lured. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Hey, What's the name of the life cover? I really like the point that you made though about them coming away, them being kind of the industry generally from using the word death, like the fact that it's even called life assurance, but you're not you're not insuring like about no. continuing to live, are you? You know, and we spent some time saying we should be promoting it as death insurance. <laughs> you can only do so much change at a time, and ultimately, we think that's what it should become. We have a bigger purpose, which I know is a bit crazy, really, but it's to try and change attitudes to death. I'm not saying that we should be joyful about it because obviously. Can't say I'm personally looking forward to the whole process, but it is going to happen. So why wouldn't we just face into that, have an honest conversation? And actually, and a lot of people experience this. And once you've done it, once you've had a conversation, you've done a bit of planning for it, you actually feel quite good about yourself. Yes, it's a similar thing to wills, isn't it? We put off our wills for a very long time. I finally got mine done. Somebody hasn't. And for <laughs> that same reason, and actually it was that very much the case with mine, that it was, you know, big questions that you didn't really want to necessarily think about. But once you had, it's just kind of biting the bullet, isn't it? Well, for me, one of the issues is the whole admin around it. So what you're saying there, mm. Phil, that where like it'll take you a few minutes and you can do it on your yeah. phone. I could have if there was an app and I could have just quickly done my will. Answered some questions. Answered some and questions and done it. I feel like that will be oh hang on. No. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> yeah, well, this is good, don't you? Um, coming coming to a town near you (laughs) they feel like a very big thing to do and when you're talking about a taboo subject people don't want to talk about death but they don't want to talk about money so when you put them both together you're just in the venn diagram of (laughs) tabooness you'd said about obviously there's only so far you can go in terms of rebranding and how much change and i think that is part of the challenge with financial services when it is people's finances is still a serious topic for them how do you kind of walk that line between bringing this sort of more reverend fun approach but for the end consumer to still know that you're a serious genuine trusted company and that you know they're fine sending them money over to you yeah that's a neurosagingly good question Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um you're exactly right and and we definitely don't always get this right you know clearly hopefully what people experience when they go on to the actual application process and all the rest of it even though we've got a few quirks in the questions hopefully people will see that you know clearly the the question set the process and all the rest of it is and we do have a very clear product wording and obviously as a regulated business we do have to show a little bit of a serious side to be very clear about what we are doing and and that should give people some and i think does give people uh, an element of confidence. You know, we are a broker still, so we have a big growing up insurer behind us. So, you know, I think they take some comfort from that. I'm sure we've had a few people who re- would refuse to engage with a company called Dead Happy, but that's fine. Um, but I don't think anyone who's come on to our site has necessarily had a look around and think, mm, this is a bunch of jokers. So I think I think we, we, we're sort of just about uh, treading that fine line. It's the same as everything in finance or the same as every kind of industry. There's a spectrum of the people that you want to deal with. You know, you can buy furniture from Ikea or background and Stonehouse. And I think that's how we see it is, you know, we're not good for everyone. And we get a few people who sort of, you know, think that we're terrible and awful and how could we be so irreverent and how could we be so disrespectful? And, and actually, interestingly, we've had a lot of that through COVID. I think people have misunderstood. You know, they, they say, oh, how could we be so callous? You know, advertising life insurance when everyone's dying. It's like... Mm, well, if not now, then when? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's not like we want people to die because you've got to remember actually that you know, insurance companies make money when people stay alive. So, you know, <laughs> we're on the same side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it just shows what an emotive subject it is, though, doesn't it? It's kind of, yeah. that's not about the logic, is it? It's just it, it's just that. You know, when you go to the pub with your mates, do they ever ask your advice about insurance? Do you ever tell or do you them go around them? asking them, like, are you insured? Are you, are you yeah. insured? How many pints have you had? Have you got insurance? <laughs> uh, you sussed how I'm going to grow this business. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strategy. You know, look, I, I can't imagine it's ever going to be a regular pub conversation for most normal people. But I think when people do have it, you get into quite an interesting debate and actually people enjoy it you just ask that question okay so what do you want to happen when you die 
as, as a good conversation starter, let me recommend it to everyone. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're buying your paper on a Sunday morning from the shop. Exactly. You want to have a I don't know if it's just because I've got older. I do think I find myself sitting in a pub and, you know, what do you want to happen when you die? And people go, burial versus cremation or whatever it is. But nobody really talks after death. They talk about death. Yeah, like is it is it a point a snapshot in time? Although my husband and I have talked about it previously, and I was very much you know, and you're happy, you can move on and get remarried. We're still quite young. If I died tomorrow, he's like, oh no no no, you would have to mourn me for life. <laughs> um, so oh, no, yeah, I think to be fair, you you've said to us like we all have to mourn you quite intently, but for a very short period of yeah, time, and then yeah. go and I'll be happy afterwards. Got a death wish, <laughs> which is <laughs> an intense needy. mourning. I mean, veils, wailing, everything. <laughs> throughout the funeral and then you know get drunk and move on that's fine. Oh, well I, th- I think it's very important you capture that you know <laughs> in writing and, 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 and make sure that everyone and, and have it read out at the funeral. <laughs> you can now commence the wailing <laughs> right that's enough wailing <laughs> yeah we could just have somebody with a little like ding like they have at your we're over that if you work in financial services you know someone will come up to you in the pub and ask about the pension they just assume that you have all your shit together you've got no debt you've got no problems you're on a great path and you're just so great with money and like I say no will until recently no life insurance we haven't and we're quite honest and open about it about you know we've both got negative equity mortgages these things happen and <laughs> um, have <laughs> you the best of us. <laughs> yeah um have you ever made any bad financial decisions oh god yeah um, <laughs> yeah question do you feel like you do have all your financial shit together or do you think even you know it's a myth that finance people just know everything about finance and therefore have no finance well, problems well i would definitely agree that yeah there's no way that and particularly to other characters i'm in this, this space there's no way they've got their shit together so mainly driven through some of my experiences i do have my shit together around if i'm dead um but you might imagine that if i don't then we really are in trouble frankly you know if i'm dead then yeah they're fine what do i need you <laughs> honestly i am literally better off dead my family i think <laughs> Worth more to i guess sometimes people might think that they have to make a perfect decision and if they don't know what the exact right thing is and they don't do anything and that's a really that's a really good point and i suppose it, a lot of that is the genesis for what we do we think a lot of people to something like life insurance they try lots of, they start a process and they never get to the end and it's just too hard and too tricky and, and because to your point they think oh well is this right is this right i'm locked in for a long time you know and then they don't get they don't feel the confidence to make a decision it's hard um and so that's i suppose that's incumbent on people like us to make it really simple and say you know what this isn't a forever decision just get something in place um and it works and it's fine and you can cancel at any time it doesn't really matter um if it's not right and if if you haven't actually had to spend three hours of your life doing it then you know and if it's only taken five minutes on your phone why not so we think that's that's you know there's a big role for all of the providers to play in making it that simple and easy to to overcome that inertia if it's not too personal, have you got any death wishes? Oh, yes, of course. You know, I've got the, the normal ones, pay off the vast amounts of debt that I have. But also, I've got one for my daughter, who has always dreamt to go and see something called the Quokkas in Australia. Oh, those so, little cute, yeah. Ro- yeah, Rottnest Island, apparently. So I've got a death wish to, to send her off there. I've got a death wish to send, so I go golfing with a, uh, a bunch of old university mates, and we've done it for the last 25 years. So uh, I've got a death Wish, which I've sent to them. One of the things about the death wishes, you can actually send them to people so they know you've done this thing. I should probably watch out for, you know, uh, poison drinks or whatever. That. And so we're, I'm, I've got a little death wish which sends them off to Vegas in my memory. Uh, isn't it genuinely like a, a nice, nice conversation to be talking about and thinking yeah. about even and as, like I say it's going to happen regardless and you know hopefully it's not sped up by the fact that people want to go to Vegas and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I didn't have it um I think funerals are interesting ceremonies of somebody's life and almost the things you should be saying to people when they're alive you only say when they're dead you know eulogies and all of the nice things and everybody gets together and celebrates them I think that's right it is odd isn't it that we you know, we refuse to say these things to people when they're alive, but we'll say them when they're dead. It's yeah. just like, well, you know, a bit late. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think they were all the questions that we had. Yeah. Do you have any questions for us? I always ask this. You do, don't you? Then, then, then you remember it's not an interview. Then I remember it's not an interview. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Any questions for us, Phil? So when can I start? <laughs> What's the salary <laughs> Thank you.
Sorry, I was mid-yarn. It was nothing to do with you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> so we didn't get to chat with you on the last stage of your house buying journey, but we heard listening back that there was a house that you really wanted that fell through. Do you want to just catch us up with what happened? <laughs> Basically, it was the last one in the whole pot that they were finishing off. That was the one that I wanted. But the guy told me that I, need, I should probably view it before I reserve it. <laughs> I mean, I really didn't want to do that, but I mean, it's quite sensible. Yeah, what to look at a house before you buy it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I was actually fuming with him that like, he said I had to. I was like, we didn't say I had to, but he was like, I strongly suggest. Cause oh, I was like, oh, I hate to strongly suggest. So I'd managed to get a viewing for but three days later and like the second day of me waiting someone had already reserved it online um, are you pleased now though yeah that, you know these things happen for a well, reason well why does what's happened since because now i've found a house yeah. is it a better one because it just looks better well, Don't even like did you view it <laughs> well it's the same house to be fair but just in this different part of the um the estate so i'd been looking every day for a new one to um, come available and it was when I took like an afternoon off work because I had COVID and I found it. Yay! You know, oh, you don't have to lie and pretend that you weren't looking at work. <laughs> I remember I just saw it and was like, Gee, Dad, should I, should I just watch that day when he was like, we'll reserve it. I was like, okay. Oh, get out! <laughs> get out. <laughs> How long have your bags been packed for? How do you feel like that it's starting to become real, that you might own a house soon? Really excited. But yeah, I was excited to have my own space and I'm a bit scared of like being on my own, but um, I think I'll be fine. Do you feel like a grown-up? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about you know, when Jazz had her mortgage, she just used to say to people, like, I didn't know, and they said this to us, and I've got a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The way that you defined people. Like, like oh. I'm an adult, I've got a mortgage. <laughs> yeah. I'll definitely be doing that. Did you feel like, I know when Holly was going through it, when she was trying to buy a house, and God love her, she got up because some tall people overbid her, or she got like rejected for dozens of houses didn't she yeah and then it almost becomes about the hunt more so even than like the original things i want a house but then you just stuck in this except like looking every single day when it actually got to it and then there was one there that you liked and it was available was there any hesitation like did you stop and go oh actually i like we need to think about this it's a house or were you just all in i did think about it like i'm not gonna lie for maybe about 10 minutes and then i was like so i bought how many houses have bought in my life? Maybe four or five? And I still couldn't tell you what the actual house buying process is. Like, I know how to go and view a house and then how to put an offer in. Um, but then it just all becomes a bit carnage, doesn't it? Like, do you know what kind of the next stages are? Um, so I got a solicitor through the development and I think basically they sort everything out. They just want me to sign a load of documents and obviously I need to get my, well, I had my mortgage in principle anyway. Yeah. So then just need to inform them of the next stages. I don't know, I feel like with a new build, because they've done it obviously so many times, it's just like a step that like they know what they're doing. Right, so yeah. It seems a lot of an easier process than say if you had, you had like a chain. Yeah. It's way easier. And I guess if they've recommended solicitors from that estate, they already know like the houses. Do yeah. you have to still go through like getting a survey and getting a formal valuation or is that all straightforward because of it being a new build? Um, no, you still have to get a valuation. Yeah. Um, it's just a swizz, isn't it? Because they're know. obviously looking after all the houses. They've already agreed the valuation. They've done well, that's the, the mortgage company service. though, isn't it? Yes, I know. The mortgage to make they sure don't... that they haven't just had her eyes out and said, mm. oh yeah, it's actually worth this amount. I didn't really understand how you could do a valuation on a house that isn't built. Well, if they just put it up a straw, like all the three little pigs. Well, I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. Awful. Yeah. It, it's all those things. I know we talked about it before, Nina, where we were saying it's all the extra things when you're buying a house. You think, oh, I've saved up my deposit, but then you've got all your lawyer's fees, you've got your estate agent or your development fees, okay. you've got stamp duty to pay. Even the searches. And then there's still, and I don't know if this will happen when your mortgage goes through. So it was 2020 about my house. They still did it where they made you pay a chap's fee. Yeah. You know, like they do a bank quid. transfers. Yeah. Like they sent my mortgage, the mortgage company sent the money to the solicitors that they then send on to the sellers. And yeah, it charged me a £20 chap's fee. And I just thought, <laughs> 20, 20, 20. Yeah. No. <laughs> Pretty sure you can just go into Santander and type it in. Like nobody's charging. Yes. When I was looking at like the specific fees, there was loads of like even just for having helped buy ISA, you had to pay like twenty pound. Really? Yeah. Just for it coming from the ISA. Yeah. Oh. I know. And <laughs> um, what are you most excited about now then about going into your new house? Is it still the walk-in closet? <laughs> that's no, all I I'm think actually, about. It's a dressing room. Room. Sorry, it's all no, I think about. I'm actually looking forward to my kitchen and being able to like meal prep and 
cook by your meals and stuff. Oh, that doesn't last long. Oh, that is cynical. <laughs> I really enjoy cooking. So. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. it doesn't last long for me. Well, I, I was saying, it. actually, I'm trying to get a new kitchen at the minute. There were guys around last night, a kitchen fitter and the electrician. And they were chewing on about where to put the positioning of the um, spotlights and the ceiling. And they're going, you haven't got a lot of surface area for preps. Fine, I eat at hash every day. <laughs> <laughs> Do not need surface area. That's so true. <laughs> oh, have you seen, like, plates and bowls and things that you want? No, with plates, I'm really struggling to decide which ones I want. And with cutlery as well, because I like to make sure they've got a sharp knife. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. I feel like quite often you get nice well, nice cutlery sets and the knives aren't very good. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. Nah, I like a weighty on. heft me. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I like a heavy knife. Did you hesitate before buying a whole new house? And you're like, yeah, for 10 minutes. How do you feel about plates? Ooh, big decision now. It's taken me a while. <laughs> it, makes a it is. It makes a difference, isn't it? <laughs> We've been talking in this episode about life insurance and buildings insurance. Have you thought about any of that yet? Have you looked into any of it? That's what my mortgage advisor was going to help me with. Right. Because um, he spoke about income protection as well. Yes. And my dad had already said about like home and contents insurance and stuff so I've kind of already factored that into my budget and what I would need to spend. So I'll tell you what, do you know what's really interesting when you do your home and contents insurance is when they start asking you like do you have any one particular item that's worth more than a thousand pounds and you're looking about going oh no I'm absolute shabby. Just <laughs> trampy <laughs> Joe no I don't. Any bicycles? Oh no 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 no. No bicycles. <laughs> I've got all my sports equipment. Oh, yeah, it's really existential. It. Just go, all right. <laughs> Um, anything you need to insure out the house, anything worth more than 500 quid. No. <laughs> you know, when your mortgage advisor is talking to you about your life insurance, are you just protecting your mortgage or are you going to get that extra? Well, Go I was on, gonna... Parapleta stride. Go on, tell us about your level. <laughs> well, I was going to have the initial amount as like my protection cover, but not have it decreasing, have it just as level, yeah. so then I would be covered. Because as we know, they can decrease faster than your mortgage payments. We so. do know that, yes. <laughs> Don't want to do with that. And what else do you think is kind of the benefit of just going in and getting like a level life insurance? So the amount that will always pay out. Obviously, right now you hope that you'll take out a mortgage, the value of that will go down, but you're taking out life insurance that won't go down. What's kind of the, the future thinking for it? Um, for like when I eventually have a family that could help them. And also like the premiums will be guaranteed, so I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just having like additional money for whatever the future may hold. That premium, it's like you with them, Joe's life insurance is still only £10 a month. Should have it? that it's long actually, ago. It's £11.67, but like £10. Like, that's good. In the same way, I just took it out when she first bought a house, and then that's it, you just keep it rather yeah. than re broken it now that she's old moved on in decrepit. years. <laughs> <laughs> moved on in years. <laughs> Is it old and decrepit? <laughs> I know, but self deprecatingly, I didn't actually think we've all moved on, on in years. years. <laughs> You know, it's You're called time. I am a veteran. <laughs> Passing a time, Joe. Don't be cross on me. Um, what you're thinking behind having income protection rather than just a, a lump sum, you know, death protection? Um, just because it's me living on my own and, God forbid, anything happened to me, I need to make sure that I can still be able to afford my mortgage. So it's more the difference of protecting yourself when you're still alive, but that you can't work. Yeah. So protecting your income and you can pay your mortgage premiums. Yeah. I was a bit surprised actually when he first even mentioned it because I thought he would just suggest life insurance. But because I've already got a bit of knowledge about it anyway and, and knew what kind of terms and stuff I wanted it on. Um, so I think at first it was maybe coming out at about £25, which is more than life insurance. And yeah, yeah. I didn't need that. So I'd like got it down to, I just did a 10 year term yeah. on own occupation only. And then I think it came down to about um, like £7. Oh, good work. Something like that. So quite a lengthy third period. <laughs> yeah. You should ask him for some commission back. I know. I never really thought about it. I didn't take income protection because the likelihood is that if I lost my job or Mike lost his job, one of us would cover the mortgage. But when yeah. you're on your own, you're, you know, you're fully dependent, aren't you, mm-hmm. on everything? And I also don't have income protection, but also because I would just literally crawl into work if my leg was hanging off. So And, you know, we'd probably still pay. Because <laughs> <laughs> none of us know to turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. Well, uh, um, oh, I'm excited for you. Oh, good luck with it. Oh, thanks. Good luck. Ready for a bit of quid games? Quid games, still nailing it. The name. 
So, because we've been talking about um, life insurance, and you know, I happen to say it's all a game of odds, isn't it? Like you pay oh, your life insurance, but yeah. actually you don't know. So, which is more likely? Is it the odds of being born with 11 fingers or toes? I don't know, but that would be class, wouldn't it? Do you think? And do you know what it's called? It's medically known as polydactyly. Oh yeah, I did know that because do you know who has it? Do you know who's a polydactyl? Who? Hannibal Lecter. That's how they found him. He's not a real person, it was a book I read. Interesting polydactyl fact! <laughs> Follow me for more medical anomalies for fictional <laughs> characters! <laughs> right, go on. <clears throat> more likely to um, be a polydactyl mm -hmm. or to find a pearl in an oyster? Um, more likely to find a pearl. I think they're quite common, but they're just not like nice pearls. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> so apparently it's one in 12,000 to find a pearl in an oyster. Only one in 500 to be a polydactyl. Oh, I know. I'm surprised you don't know more I thought they were extinct. There's a lot. <laughs> also, there's genuinely a business idea in that if one in 500, how many six-fingered gloves do you need? Like, how easy is it to buy a six-fingered six glove? Probably not that easy. Probably wear a mitten. But it's, <laughs> it's a bigger market than I realise. It Somebody is. Somebody needs or... to do something with that. Where would you put your thong on your front floor? <laughs> I, think, I think it's usually got the, I think it's a little extra pinky. Like oh, pinky toe. Sticking outside. Yeah. Would you have to pay more if you go for a pedicure? You know, like your gel and Imagine stuff. Imagine if they like add a little 20% like, increase. 20% done, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, they've got fingers plus fat. <laughs> Digit fat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Right. In the past six years, are you more likely? What would you do with an extra finger? Oh, type even faster. Have you seen that? Now you can buy them go. gloves. They're like um, metal gloves and they've got an extra finger on and it's just better for like gripping and you can do other things with these fingers no. and that one grips. You can get like a glove with an extra finger. No, I don't like the sound of that. A metal one? Yeah, like, you know, like a, like a robot. Oh, no, I don't like that. In the past six years, mm -hmm. were you more likely to be injured at work by an animal or by electricity? Oh, do you know what? I feel like electricity is the normal thing, but animal is... Work doesn't just mean in an office where there's electricity. Oh, Might be, point. you know, zookeepers. Look at you, not just big. Oh, I bet beekeepers. I bet beekeepers get injured loads. Yeah, I'm gonna go animals. Out. It is animals, and do you yeah. know what? You thought it through, <laughs> and it paid. <laughs> get me into that box now. <laughs> 546 animal injuries in the last six years versus only 102 by electricity. Also, well, then the me stick and the knife in the toaster. <laughs> right. Oh, hang on. This has got a lengthy answer. Are you more likely to be killed by plane travel or car travel? Obviously car travel. Just because you travel in cars much, much more than you travel in planes. Planes feel more dangerous, but actually you travel in cars every single day. Okay, but then if you averaged it out, so if you risk based on exposure, so if you did 100 million car journeys and you did 100 million aircraft miles, oh. uh, sorry, 100 million car, car miles, miles or 100 oh, million right, okay, aircraft yeah. miles, which oh, do you think? My kind of maths. Let me think. I think planes are more dangerous. Dangerous taking off and landing. Which... Oh, you're keeping with this whole thinking thing. Oh, yeah. The last yeah. question. Well um, done. And then I'm thinking for cars, it's just a general flat line of danger. Gonna go planes. As you'd be more likely to be yeah. killed. Yeah. Yeah, just because you tried to lead us down the car line. <laughs> and I was just helping you think it through. Um, yeah. Yeah, 1.9 deaths per 100 million aircraft miles versus 1.3 per 100 million car miles. I'm looking up my aircraft miles, aren't I? I feel like I'm just... Mm. You're pushing your odds. Aren't I, you know? I feel like I'm just shuffling towards impending doom. The chances of you cracking open an egg to discover a double yolk... Ooh. Or I being... tell you what, you know it's a good day when it's a double yolk egg. <laughs> double or being dealt a royal flush. So, and just so you know, the royal flush is the best hand in poker. So it's a 10 Jack, Queen, King, Ace, all of the same suit. Well, that's not even like, it's not like 5 out of 52, is it? It's not probability. The chances are exponential, aren't they? I'm going to go with you, but I just need to tell you this story about Michael's dad once, who said <laughs> he was like so excited once and he was like, oh my God, like I made my egg on the morning. It was a double yorker. He was like, what a day. Like everybody loves a double yorker. He said, and then I went to make another one, double yorker. He was like, what are the chances? Two double yorkers. He said, the day after, double yorker. I was like, bloody hell. Then I looked at the box and it was like, all double yorkers. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of apparently cultivate them. That's the only reason I know. Did you boxes of them to cultivate them? I didn't. Them. Um, also, I've never had one. Um, um, I'm going to go with the double yorker, though. Well, and do you know what's interesting? Quite hard to um, tell you if you're right or not, because our producer has gone for a 1 in 1,000 measurement of the double yorker <laughs> versus a 0.0015% chance of a royal flush. If it's 0 0.1, 0 0.1, so then it's that's 0 0.15. 0 0.001, isn't it? What is? 1 in 1,000. 1 in 1,000, yeah. Not and that's not, not point... No, 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 it's got an extra knot in. So, in short, you're right. 
Nailed it. Double Yorker. Just took three of us in a calculator. <laughs> right. The Otaira lower that an adult uses the internet before going to bed or an adult has sex before going to bed and you don't get extra points for doing both at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously the internet. Everybody goes on the internet before bed. Everybody has to Google before bed. Obviously the internet. Well, it's not obvious. Um, but it is the internet. <laughs> just... Really? One in 3.6 adults uses the internet before going to bed, whereas one in 3.7 has sex. One in 3.7 lie. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised. One in 1.37 people lie about what they do before bed. Yeah, I'm surprised at that. Yeah, it's not a thing. Are you more likely to A, be born, mm. or B, shuffle a deck of cards and create a combination of order that has never, ever happened before in history? Personally, for me, <laughs> being born. born. Because <laughs> yeah. I've done that. At some point, it's more likely that you're born than you're going to have. What do you mean the likelihood of being born? Your chances Generally, of being born. billion people on the planet. Well, no, if you think about all the sperm and stuff as well, that like, oh. doesn't happen. Your chances of being born apparently are one in 5.5 trillion. Wow. Not only did your parents have to meet and conceive through the successful fusion of a particular pair of sperm and egg cells. 1.37. But you also had to be born after nine months, so like even like, all oh, of the right. stats like in the run-up to it, 5.5 trillion. Oh, you are new. So you're one in a million. Trillion. One in, in 5.5 5 5 5 trillion. trillion, actually. Um, did you know only 5% of babies are born on their due dates? Yeah, well... 80% somewhere in the two weeks before or after? Yeah, because it's a freaking guess. Are you ready for this? It's based on the last time you potentially had a period. It's not like science. There's no science in that. Apart <laughs> from all the gynecology. <laughs> Unique combinations of a shuffled deck of cards is that. Oh, there's just so, so many numbers you can't even read them. I, but I know it's more than trillion. That so... looks like the amount of people you've had sex with. <laughs> on a day since you last had sex oh oh that's good is it no you're not gonna only give it (laughs) (laughs) how many zeros it looks like a quick math it looks like 67 zeros after 80 so basically after 80 or after 8 after 80 so 80 so not 87 zeros not 8 and 68 zeros 80 and 67 zeros look it's 80 point it's not a point. Well, I just... <laughs> it's like, like, so that would be 80,000, 80 million, 80 billion, 80 trillion. You know, no, 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 Anyway, you were right. Yay, well Yay. done. I think you won good games. Woo! <laughs> good episode, Joe, good episode. You know, when you have um, people in a play and they're on stage, and then they have to like exit stage left and then quickly like change the costume and come on and like play a different part. I feel like that's been math today. <laughs> all oh, of these different yeah. like, hats and combinations. Should we say thank you to the many faces of Mark? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Glenn Who. Um, so thank you to um, our writer, Mark. Thank you to the producer, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your creative guidance and input, even during the podcast, Mark. Yeah. Thank you to the Mike Putter honorer, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you, Nana, for sharing a story. Um, and your new fave, uh, Phil. Phil. Phil from Dead Happy. Happy. He is my new fave, actually. He does make you dead happy. He does. And so does he his does. website. You should go and check yeah. it out. I know, yeah. Make a death wish. It's cooler than you think. Thank you, Joe. <laughs>